Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Please take your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's hard not to mention that this time last year, this room was empty. And it is a different building when nobody's here. Like the church is truly not a building. The Bible is very clear that the church is people. It's you and me. And this building comes alive when you're here. But you know, last year with the beginning of the pandemic and the changes, we were not open at this time. And not only that, but during that time that we weren't open, we did live services every single service. So every service, Saturday night, we woke up in the morning, Pastor Ian and his team came, and to a predominantly empty room, we did fresh live services for our online and radio audiences throughout that whole time, with the exception of Easter. Because there's so many services, Pastor Ian and I and the leadership decided, hey, why don't we just go ahead and record one service and we'll replay that uh, on all of the extra services that we plan. We actually played it all day as we do now. We have services playing all day online. So what that meant was that Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, for the first time in 21 years, 14 years in this building, seven years over at the school, No matter what, no matter what the weather was, no matter how much snow was there, no matter what, for the first time in 21 years in the life of our church, we did not gather for Easter. And it was so sad and discouraging. I was home. I wasn't sick. It wasn't a snow day. And I was home on Easter Sunday. And at that time, you'll recall, we weren't sure what the future would hold. We didn't know which way it was going. As a matter of fact, when we got together as a leadership team here and started to assess what the future might be, we absolutely believed it would be over by Easter. And we're like, okay, church, we can do this. We can get through this. We'll be back together. And it wasn't. It didn't end up the way that we expected at all. And yet here we are gathered together. And it is a new Easter and a new year, and new years always give me that sense of new possibilities, a freshness, or what Jesus described, uh, a new wine for new wineskins, and God is doing a fresh thing. And God wants you to know that he is desiring you to participate in this new thing that he's doing. Eyes on the prize, focused upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because I know that many of you listening to me right now, your relationship with Jesus suffered this previous year. It suffered. The year may have started out with a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety, and then you began to watch online, you began to try, but then you kind of pulled back because there was really not much to do. And so your service unto the Lord was was lacking. And then maybe your devo life was lacking. And then then maybe your, your entire spiritual life suffered. But here you are now. No need to look backwards in terms of condemnation or guilt or shame. No, no, not not that. But acknowledge it and say, okay, here I am. It's a new year, fresh direction. God has taught us a lot. And because of what I've learned, I'm going to be a different person this year. I'm going to be a different man, a different woman, different mom, different dad, different aunt, different uncle. I want to be different. 
I, I want the fresh new resurrection life of Jesus Christ to change me for the good, to move forward with what God has given us. And so here I am with the privilege. It's a high, high calling and a privilege. It's an amazing privilege, really, to share with you that Jesus Christ is the only way to a right relationship with God. He alone can forgive your sin, and He alone can change your life, and He alone can rescue your marriage, and He alone can give you the strength in your singleness, and He alone can turn your family around. He alone is a very important phrase because the Bible records Jesus and it quotes Jesus as saying this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He claims the exclusive pathway into a relationship with God. There are not two ways. There are not five ways. There are not 20 ways. There is one way to a relationship with God, and the only way is through Jesus. It's not through a church. A pastor can't give it to you. A priest can't give it to you. Sacraments can't give it to you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary and affirmed by his resurrection, can forgive your sins and save your soul. But Ed, I have a different view than you do. I know you're a pastor, and I know you need to say that, but I have a different view. And some of you may be thinking, now wait a minute, Ed, I thought thought that all roads lead to God. I mean, all roads lead to God. I mean, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. Are you telling me? that the only way to God is not being good and moral, but that I have to come to terms with what Jesus said and did? Well, you may be a little shocked and surprised by my answer when you tell me that all roads lead to God. So don't be surprised, but let it sit with you. I actually agree with you when you say that all roads lead to God. I agree. All roads do lead to God. There are a lot of different choices out there, a lot of different philosophies, a lot of different religious systems, a lot of different thinking, people even making up their own way to God, and whatever path you choose in life, I agree with you. It's gonna end in the presence of God. It will find, you will find yourself at the end of your life, no matter the road or the choice that you've taken, in the presence of God, who will then require from you an accounting of the life that you lived. He'll require that from you. Oh, you're right. Don't misunderstand me. I don't believe in all roads lead to God like you do. I do believe in the exclusivity of the road that leads to life. (laughs) You see, all roads lead to God, but only one road leads to the forgiveness of your sins. Only one road leads to the change of your life. Only one road will cleanse you and change you and only one road will give you what you're really truly longing for and that's to be born again in a right relationship with your creator well what about being good what difference does it make then ed if i'm a good moral person and it doesn't get me to heaven then what difference does it make well let me tell you it makes a lot of difference those of you that have chosen a good moral life thank you you you've been a, a an asset to our community You help and serve and give. I mean, being good is so much better than being bad. You're not a drain on society. We don't have to fear you. 
You try to bring peace and joy and happiness everywhere you go. And we appreciate that. Thank you. But don't think that being good is actually good enough in the presence of God. See, because when you think of that definition, you know, I'm good, we actually have to ask you, what do you mean by good? What's your definition? (laughs) And you know how it is. (laughs) Whenever somebody's talking about good, when they compare themselves, they always compare themselves to the absolute worst person on the planet that ever lived on the planet Earth. Rarely do they ever compare themselves to someone that's better than them. It's like, well, how good are you? Well, you know, at least least I'm not Hitler. Well, I'm so glad you're not. Compared to Hitler, everybody's good. But see, we don't compare ourselves to another person. Let me ask you this. When you say you're a good moral person, when you compare yourself to Jesus Christ, how do you measure up? I suspect if you took a real close look at your own life, you'd measure up, you'd come to the conclusion, hey, I'm no Jesus Christ. Thank God, I'm glad you're not. There's only one. Of course you're not Jesus. Because the issue in the room today, you know, you think about it, we walk in today and it's been a long year, been hard. Some of you, very first time back and it's just been challenging. It's been difficult, been frustrating and everything, just so much, boom, boom, boom. The whole year is so hard, so hard, so hard. And so you carry some of that burden into the room today and you have issues and problems related to the last year. And that's just how you, the newness of your life, it's become so much harder and challenging. But you know, that's not, whatever you think your problem is today, that's actually not your worst problem. I mean, the things that you faced and the difficulties you've experienced, you're going, boy, Ed, this is hard, and Ed, this is difficult. And, and I agree with you, it's hard and difficult, but it's not your biggest problem. You see, the biggest problem in this room is sin. That's your biggest problem. It's so huge and so significant that it moved God. The creator of the universe moved God to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to live, die, and he indeed rose again from the dead to deal with sin. Because none of us could do it on our own. None of us. We were stuck. And some of you are still stuck because of sin and the brokenness of your life. Now, I know sin's not a popular word right now. I realize that. It's not a very, unless you're reading the Bible or reading a book about the Bible or listening to a Bible study, I mean, they're not even using that word in our culture today. It's not popular. And everyone loves to put new spins on old sins. You know, you don't want, people don't want to say, I'm a liar. They say, no, I'm not a liar. I'm a reality enhancement engineer. Ah, nice. People say, I'm not a thief. I'm an allocation management specialist. I'm not a gossip. I'm an information dissemination agent. How about this? I'm not bossy. I'm just a life control director. (laughs) The extremes that people go to in order to justify what they do and what they know to be wrong. So I know sin is not popular, so let's take that word and just set it aside for a second. Well, before we set it aside, we probably should define it, right? Sin comes to us from the Greek language. It's translated into English. It comes to us from a word in the Greek language. And the reason why we refer to the Greek language is because the Bible, the New Testament, 
the section that we're reading right now was written in the first century, and the common language of the day in the first century was Greek. Koine Greek, common, just conversational Greek. The word that was chosen that we translate sin literally means to miss the mark. Miss the mark. And what that means, in your mind, picture this, in your imagination, picture a person with a bow and arrow, because the word comes to us from the world of archery, picture someone with a bow and arrow pulling back, shooting the arrow at the target, and missing it. They would call that a sin. The goal of the arrow is to hit the target. I mean, even in the target, you see the targets today, they have concentric circles, right? You can hit the bullseye, you can hit the end. just hit the target. That's it, just hit the target, that's your goal. When you miss the target, that's called a sin. That's called a sin. So set that aside for a second. Let's talk about a different word. Since sin can be uncomfortable, let's talk about a word that's probably more comfortable for all of us, mistakes. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand on this. This is going to be a room full. You guys online, on the radio, I want you to participate with us too. I'm going to ask you a question, and if the answer is yes, raise your hand. Have you ever made a mistake, yes or no? Oh, look, the flags are waving so much. There's so much wind in here. And if you didn't make, if you didn't raise your hand right now, that was a mistake. <laughs> of course we have. Our culture even kind of values that. You know, I'm not perfect. You know, we make a mistake, and then when we're defending ourselves, we go, oh, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect. You're right. You're not perfect, I'm not perfect. And how easy it is to admit that Stay with me. How easy it is to admit that we've missed the mark in life. That we've made a mistake. Of course we have. None of us are perfect. You could say it this way. We have all made mistakes and haven't lived a perfect life. We could say that with authority because we have. It's not just you. It's not just you've made a mistake. And it's not just me that I've made a mistake. No, it's we have made it. We all are under the shadow of our own failures and our own mistakes. You with me so far? Yes? Okay, so what you in our culture calls mistakes, the Bible calls sin. And so what I've just explained to you can be summarized in one little verse in the Bible. It says this, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark in our lives, in our relationship with God. Of course, when we transfer that word and refer to God, it's much more serious than the little everyday mistakes. You know, like, you think of some of the mistakes. Some of you made mistakes on your way into church today. You got mad at the kids, you got mad at your wife, husband. You know, we just, it's more than running a red light or speeding. Like, when you talk about sin, you are talking about your failure to live up to the righteous standard that God has set for his creation. I mean, this is serious stuff. <clears throat> it's serious stuff. That's why the world and our culture doesn't like to talk about it. They like to excuse it. Maybe you, you like to excuse it. You don't want to admit just how bad you are. You, you look and you go, man, I'm a good person and I'm a good person. I'm not that bad. But whatever bad you are, you're bad. It's bad. When you hurt somebody's feelings, when you take something that's not yours, when you're not trustworthy, when you lie, that's bad. It's not good. And you can be a good person and do bad things. It's possible. Because I think in our heart of hearts, most of us want to be good. Like we want to make a difference. We want to love people and serve people. We want to help. And so to miss the mark with God, sin, 
is to miss the target completely. And, you know, the target with God, he doesn't have concentric circles. He only has one, just one circle. You know what it is? Perfection. That's what God requires, perfection. And because we've all just admitted that we're not perfect, then we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Like your issue and my issue of sin is so serious that God would send his son to die for you. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. Remember, if you were with us on Good Friday, you learned that Jesus was such a wonderful, I mean, it's understatement, right? But just such a wonderful man to be around. He loved people, served people, healed the lepers, fed people. I mean, everywhere he went, he brought good. The, The only times there were difficulties with Jesus were with the religious rulers that were misrepresenting God. And he says, enough of that. You guys are lying to the people. You, you, you're, not, you're not speaking the truth. But the common people loved him and heard him and loved to be around him. What was his reward for living a perfect life? How does the culture reward perfection? Well, we know. They tied him to it. First of all, they lied about him, slandered him, falsely accused him. His best friend betrayed him. And then they took him away, all these fake trials, found him guilty, released a murderer and an insurrectionist out back into the population, took Jesus, tied him to a pole, and beat him mercilessly. The Bible word for that, every time you read it now, I want you to remember it, the Bible word is scourging. Scourging took two Roman soldiers where they would take a man with his back laid wide open, tie him to a post or lay him down, uh, we don't know exactly how, what happened to Jesus. But then the, the Roman soldiers with this cat of nine tails, which was a, a stick with some leather um, strips out of it with bone and things, metal in it. And they would full force whip the back of a man from head to toe. Full force. One after another. Boom. 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 Most men either died under the scourging or they confessed to a crime they didn't commit so it would stop but not Jesus. He endured it all for you and me. Not only that, he was beat so bad, the Bible says, that unless you knew him, you wouldn't have recognized him. He was beaten unrecognizably. That was the reward our culture places on perfection. And so here we are, oh, I'm a good person, but, but yeah, but you're not perfect. And that's why you so often walk around with a guilty conscience and why you live maybe angry all the time. Why you live in a state of denial. Maybe you live drinking and you're just under the influence all the time because you don't want to feel what you're feeling. Maybe that's why you're going from relationship to relationship because you don't want to deal with the issue. And listen, this happens to believers too, by the way. Where a born-again believer can be so hurt, so traumatized, so mad, and, and instead of just dealing with it, because who wants to deal with that? They go right back to habits that will sort of alleviate that. But, it, but you learn it never alleviates it. It just makes things worse. It just makes things worse. That's where we are here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writing to this church that had forgotten the gospel. A church that was no longer declaring sin, they were actually living in it. But that makes sense in some ways because when you read 1 Corinthians, the word Corinthian actually is referencing a city, the city of Corinth, Asia Minor area, Greece, in that area. 
It's referencing a city that was growing up in a Greek culture. The Greek culture of the day in the first century was very idolatrous, very humanistic, very secular. And the gospel came and transformed a group of believers. But the greatest problem of the, of the culture of the first century, uh, the Greek culture, was they didn't believe in the resurrection. They dismissed it. They were humanists. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And whatever supernatural they believed in was very weird in mythology, you know, mythological. And so Paul writes to this group of believers that's influenced by their culture. And let me just pause here just one moment before I read the text that you have to understand that you live in a culture too. When we're, we as pastors try to describe it when we're teaching the Bible, we might use phrases like the American church, or we might use phrases like Western culture, or we might talk about society or even use the word culture. What we're trying to describe for you is the atmosphere in which you live. This culture has a message this culture has a medium of displaying that message. They, they want you to not believe in the truths of the scripture, so they minimize it and they undermine it and they make fun of you. And, and if you're not careful, you'll forget that you live and swim in this culture so much, you might forget that that's, that's very, very dangerous for your mind. You can start to believe things. You can start to adapt. You can start to believe things that the Bible clearly says are not true because you picked it up along the way. That's where the Corinthians are. And he just wants to remind them of two things, which I want to remind you today. Number one, he wants to remind them of the gospel. Notice verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So all true believers, he says, don't you guys remember the gospel, the good news? It changed your life. That's why there's a church there. There's a, there was the, the gospel, the good news. And you say, what is the gospel? Verse three, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here's the gospel. It's very simple. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Why did he die for our sins? Because of sin. That's why he died. Because of our sin, your sin and mine. And it says that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel that I get to declare to you today. Believer and unbeliever alike. Those of you that are saved, remember the gospel. Remember the significance of the life, death, and resurrection. They all go together. You know, when we gather together for Christmas, I do the same thing. I tie the birth of Jesus to his death and resurrection because they all go together. It's a package, the fullness of what God has done for you and me. But not only that, for the skeptics in the room, notice what the Bible says, verse five. And that he was seen by Cephas, that's just another name for his friend Peter, then by the 12, which is a group that hung around with him. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, which is his half-brother, and then by all the apostles, and then verse eight, last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. So the resurrection didn't happen in a vacuum. It was witnessed. There are eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus Christ after he died. That's what resurrection means. Jesus Christ came back to life. 
in a glorified body, the promise for all of us, <laughs> the resurrection. We could, we could do series on the resurrection, but one of the neat things about the resurrection is that for those of, that you've loved and that have died in Christ before you, you will be reunited with them. Isn't that amazing? What a promise. Because there's life after death. The resurrection of Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And there were eyewitnesses. He starts mentioning people, but the one that jumps out on the page at me is 500. Jesus appeared to, this was no secret, didn't happen in a corner of the world. He appeared to over 500 people at the same time. That's pretty significant. Let's just say we saw a minor fender bender, just 10 of us. We just picked 10 random people. We're out there. We see a minor fender bender at Hampton and Tower. And we start sharing our stories, and you know what? All of our stories are not going to be the exact same. You're going to see this, I'm going to see that, and we're all going to see it. However, when a seasoned detective comes, they're going to interview us, talk to us, and through all of our eyewitnesses' accounts, they will compare it and go, this is what it looks like on the video, and these guys, they were all reliable witnesses. They may have seen it a little bit different. You saw this angle, I saw that angle. You emphasized this, I emphasized that. But here's the thing, we all saw it. And we could say, we were there. It was right there. And then they pull the tape and they go, oh yeah, it's exactly what the video shows. But can you imagine 500 witnesses at the same time? 500. That's pretty significant. 500 people. It's like Paul saying, you don't believe in the resurrection? You don't think you're saved? You think this is no big deal? You think this is a myth? You think this is a fairy tale? You think it doesn't matter? You want to go back to idolatry? You, want to, you don't think it, listen, don't 500 people saw Jesus. He's alive. And then what does he say? Because this was written about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So, you know, you're looking at about mid-century at that point. He says, and some, most of them are alive right now. Go talk to them. You can ask them yourself. They were there. You know, you know what the significance of 500 witnesses are? Let's just say we invited 500 witnesses here today to give us their testimony of seeing Jesus. And so we line them up, 250 down here, 250 down there, and then they both come back one at a time to the pulpit, and we give them 15 minutes, like we do sometimes on our midweek study. We'll have time of testimony. You come up, you get a little bit of time, you share what God has done in your life, and it's powerful and wonderful. So these guys come up 15 minutes each. And then we limit it, you know, because we have limited time ourselves. So we say, we're going to start at 9 a.m. and end at 5 p.m., and all 500 people get 15 minutes. So you just imagine them coming up. I saw him. I tell you, this is what he said. He laid his hands on me and prayed. I ate with him. We followed him. We hung out. All the things. They got 15 minutes and it gets cut off. In order to have 500 people give their testimony of just 15 minutes, eight-hour days, it would take 15 and a half days, two weeks. It would be like two weeks of your work week. One after, no break, no lunch break, nothing, just testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony of the power of the resurrection. And then you say, well, Ed, you know, we're 2,000 years later. Where, where, are the, where, where are the testimonies now? You're sitting right next to them. There's thousands of testimonies today of the resurrection power that saved a life, that saved a marriage, that saved a family. You're, in, you're sitting right next to them. Could it be that you just don't want to deal with sin? Could that be it? 
maybe it's not an intellectual argument at all. It's actually a moral issue you have in your life. You don't want to admit or even give up the sin in your life. Oh, it was easy to say mistake, wasn't it? It was. I intended it for B. I intended for you to agree with me. I wanted you to agree with me. So I chose a word that you would probably agree with. Yes, yes, it's easier to say mistake. But it's just as easy to say sin. To admit to God that I'm a sinner. Look, you don't need me as a preacher to list out all the sins. You know, I could do that. I could list out maybe the top 50 things that we as a pastoral team deal with, you know, all year. And there's a boom, we had this, this, this. And, you know, before I finish our list of 100, most of you go, yeah, that's me. Oh, that's me. A few of you go, they missed me. They know what I did. Like, that's fine because the Holy Spirit already got you because you just admitted what we missed, right? So it's all the same. So Holy Spirit is working in you more than I would ever, more than my words could ever do. And so could it just be, I I mean, I, I know there's some intellectual issues here. I know there's some doubts I know you have doubts when it comes to the things of God. Maybe you were hurt by a Christian or a church and, and now, you know, you, you're just like, I don't know, I'm religion. And, you know, Jesus would say, yeah, just throw that stuff away and come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And even so, we make mistakes still to this day. You hurt me, I hurt you, and then we resolve it in the spirit. It's life. It's the way it is. We're all touched and tainted by sin, even though we're born again, new creation in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And those of you that are doubting, those, you know, I want to encourage you to starve your doubts, but feed your faith. Starve those doubts. Don't live in the world of doubts and grayness and maybes and should haves and could haves. Starve that. Don't give it life in you. Instead, feed your faith. Feed that spark of love that you have for God. The Bible, even as we saw in the video at the beginning, has put eternity in all of our hearts. And he wants you to come into relationship with him today. Whether that's for the first time or it's time to rededicate. You know, the Bible says in Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The only way to deal with your conscience is to, and to see your sins cleansed is to come clean with Jesus and confess them. Some sins we tend to confess more easily than others. Others we try to hide. But true repentance is turning from the wrong and coming to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness that only comes through the blood that was shed for you on Calvary. Which leaves us with a question. What exactly is it that's preventing you from receiving Jesus today? You have the facts. You have the witnesses. You have the need. You realize your sins are real. You've even openly admitted it. That you have failed and you're not perfect. Your conscience is burning. The Spirit of God is speaking to you. What is it that's holding you back? And, and yesterday, as we had Easter services starting yesterday, like there, there was a turn yesterday between four and six o'clock service. And that turn was this, this burden that God put upon my heart to call out for a rededication, recommitment call in our church. 
in light of this last year, in light of decisions that are made, you know, things get in your head. And, and it's just like, okay, church, like it's like the Lord saying, challenge the church, Ed. Call them to recommitment. Call them to rededication. Call them to come back. Call them to, to, to commit themselves to following me wholeheartedly once again. And so with that, I would say, what's holding you back from that? Because maybe new habits have been developed and new things are holding you back and the Holy Spirit's calling you to himself today. The resurrection of Jesus is pretty serious. Without the resurrection, there's no gospel. <laughs> Without, you know, we, the birth of Jesus is great, the life of Jesus is great, but people have a hard time with the resurrection. No, the resurrection of Jesus is great too. It is the key to the, there is no gospel without the resurrection of Jesus. But because he rose again from the dead, the gospel comes to you today. Isn't that great? God loves you so much. It's so good. It's so good. So Father, thank you for the privilege of being here today. Thank you, God, for a listening ear as you um, were speaking near and far to so many today. And I pray you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us at Calvary, God, that we want to be used in these last days. We, we want to be in unity. We want to be in the Spirit. We want to draw our resources through. We want to abide in you. We, we want to be a force to be reckoned with, with the gospel. And I know it's hard, as Pastor Ian mentioned that verse, in this world we'll have tribulation, we'll have trouble. And, you know, I just pray for those that, that are like, don't want any trouble. It's a hard place to be because you said we're going to have it. So I just pray for them. I pray you comfort and encourage them. And as we're praying, if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and you'd like to do that, would you just stand to your feet right now? I want to pray with you. I want you to, for the first time, I mean, check it out. It'll be your spiritual birthday, Easter 2021. Unbelievable. What a great memory to have. But, you know, that's a small thing compared to your soul. <clears throat> the greater memory is that was the day I was born again. Everything changed. I remember the night I was born again like it was yesterday. <clears throat> I've forgotten a lot of things, but I haven't forgotten that night. And believe me, I needed to be changed. I was hopelessly lost. God bless you guys. I mean, beyond repair. And you don't have to be as bad as I was, but I was bad. Maybe even might have said I was a good person here and there, but I needed the gospel. And I'm so grateful God didn't give up on me. I'm so grateful my friend invited me to church. I'm so grateful my pastor taught me the gospel and then called me to action like I am with you right now. And one day, as awkward as it might feel right now, you're going to be grateful for it too. You're going to tell somebody your story. But it's not going to be your story. It's going to be God's story. What God has done in your life. It's going to be a turning point. It's like the hinge. Who else would say that's me? You guys online... Uh, listening on the radio or downstairs, although I don't see you, uh, God sees you, so don't worry about that. Like, do what God is telling you to do right now. But of course, we're in the room, so let's celebrate together, and we can't celebrate the change in your life unless you acknowledge it publicly. So we invite you to do just that. Today would be the day. Anyone else? God bless you over here. I see you. I see you here too. It's so good. I know it's a different day for you. I know it's something you haven't done before. But you're going to, it's just going to be, I don't even know how to describe it. You're going to learn love like you've never learned it before. Unconditional love from God. It's unbelievable.
And so I want to extend the invitation now, now that we can see. I, I want to say, if you, if you need to rededicate your life, you need to recommit, would you stand to, please? I'm begging you, especially if you're a part of our church, but like you're a part of the big church. So like we want you to get right with the Lord. So just wherever you are, just stand. Like rededicate. I'm going to pray. Don't, don't everybody sit down. I'm going to pray with you guys all in the moment. But let's, that, like be serious. No more, mo- maybe like just don't go through the motions. Like let, let's just get serious about the things of the Lord again. Let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's, let's, let's see the, the power of God resting upon us. Let's not play games anymore and not try to be all intellectual and, you know, you got all... No, it's, it's your heart, man. Get your heart right with the Lord. Surrender. Sacrifice. Admit. Maybe the source has been pain. You're not a bad person because you got hurt. Experienced trauma. It doesn't make you bad. Maybe you've been drinking all this time. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just puts you in a position to receive more grace from God. He doesn't want you living like that. He doesn't want you running all the time. He doesn't want you running away. He wants you running too. And so near or far, I'm going to pray with those that were giving their life to Jesus for the first time. And you guys... You can pray with me. But you guys that are rededicating, standing or sitting, I mean, standing, here's the deal. Standing gives you that public thing where you can say, I did it. People see you, hold you accountable. You can say, Easter was the, Easter was Easter 2021. I rededicated my life to the Lord. No looking back. That's all it is. Standing's not for me. It's for you. It's not for us. It's for you. But we get to enjoy it and get to be a part of it. So I'm going to pray with those that are receiving the Lord the first time. And then you guys are rededicating. You can say whatever you want. You know how to pray to God. Go ahead and talk to him. Even if it's like, man, I just so messed up, Lord, and help me. (laughs) He'll answer that prayer. And so let's pray together. And and this is for those that are coming to the Lord for the first time. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I turn away from them today. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus Christ rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I dedicate my life to following you from this day forward. And God, my heart is heavy for those that are coming back to you, rededicating. May you bless them and encourage them and strengthen them and help them and deliver them and comfort them and exhort them and encourage and reprove them. But let's, I, 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 I'm, I'm excited, Lord, by the response for us to get back in the race and to be the church. That's it. Just be the church. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to follow lists of rules and regulations we're just abiding in you, we will be the church. We will love and serve and care. So I pray over our church as we head out today. Easter 2021 will be a distant memory for many, not too long, but not for most. It will be a life-transforming weekend that you have reserved for us. So bless your church. Bless these wonderful men and women. Lord, pour out your spirit in an abundant way in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. 
We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.